0: Welcome to Socially Distant, Spiritually Close, a podcast dedicated to exploring the biggest spiritual questions of this complex and challenging moment. I'm your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Today, of course, is uh, not only Shabbat, but is Shabbat Hanukkah. And as you uh, heard from uh, Ben Scromney, that beautiful Haftorah that he read, um, it's it's really extraordinary and powerful prophecy, uh, both because uh, Zechariah is not a prophet that we hear a lot from within our tradition. Uh, he's got uh, echoes of Ezekiel uh, in him. He may have been, according to some scholars, a student of Ezekiel's. Uh, and uh, and, and uh, also because, uh, let's face it, there are aspects of his prophecy that are a little strange, a little weird. Uh, but the core of uh, his vision that were offered in this haftorah, and quite possibly the primary reason uh, why the sages selected this haftorah uh, for to read on Shabbat Hanukkah, uh, is uh, is the uh, image of a menorah of a candelabra uh, that uh, is offered to Zachariah, um as a part of. Uh, a, a vision of uh the the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem uh a, a after the uh, uh Babylonian exile uh and uh, the re- the restoration to Zion rebuilding of the temple the rededication of uh, of a uh, second temple uh, in Jerusalem featuring of course as the first temple did that menorah that uh, that that candelabra but uh Zechariah when he sees that vision of the menorah you would think okay you know God's telling me about rebuilding the temple. There was a menorah in the temple and here's a vision of a menorah. That's what the vision is. But Zechariah's response to this is kind of strange. His response is, uh, I answered and said to the angel, Hadoverbi, that was speaking to me, saying, Ma'ele Adoni, What is this, my Lord? Uh, and the angel is surprised that Zechariah doesn't know what, it is that he's showing him, and he says, uh uh you don't know what these are. But Omar Loadoni. And I and I said, No, I don't. So it this uh uh we have this symbolism of the menorah, the symbolism of 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 light and and renewal that's being offered to Zahari, and he has no idea what it means. It evokes the famous question that the rabbis ask about Hanukkah in the very uh small passage in the Talmud that discusses Hanukkah, they say, my Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? So we're blessed this Shabbat uh, to be joined by uh, my teacher uh, and uh, a teacher to so many and an inspiration to so many, Ruth Messenger, the longtime president and and CEO and now global ambassador for American Jewish World Service, uh, a, a hero, of the uh, global movement for uh, human rights, uh, to join us and talk a little bit about this, about the meaning of Hanukkah, about the meaning of this Shabbat, uh, and about uh, what it all says uh, and what our moment says um, about uh, the state of human rights in the world uh, and our uh, and the work ahead of us as Jews. Uh, good morning, Ruth.
1: Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Happy Hanukkah. Happy connector kind of to you and to everyone. And kola um, kabo um, to Ben. That was beautiful.
0: Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you so much for being with us. It's such, a, such an honor to have you here. And I think I want to start with that question of, you know, Ma'ela, uh, right? Uh, uh, what is this? Um, we're, we're celebrating Hanukkah right now. We have, you know, Hanukkah is rich in stories and in symbolism. Um, so, what's speaking to you this year about the uh, about about the symbolism of Hanukkah, about the menorah, about the lights, uh, about uh, about any of it? What is Hanukkah to you this year?
1: Well, first of all, I would just make a side comment, which is just based on my email and Facebook feed, we are all so at the edge all the time because of this pandemic and the changes in our lives and the confusion of days and weekdays and Shabbat, I find that everyone is like into Hanukkah in an even bigger way than usual. What does it mean? Um, How many different um, fried foods can you cook on eight different nights? I have a good friend, I won't identify her. She's a rabbi you know, who actually posted last night to make deep fried Oreos. Um, So I I thought that was a little much, but I'm just saying like, so the holiday, it's interesting because The holiday, the the original story, has meaning because something happened with the menorah and the oil and the lights, which we'll go on to in a minute, but I'm just saying, I just see people seizing on the holiday. Oh, my God, we could say something is happening. The next eight days, we actually light our candles. So there's that notion. But but for me, more seriously, Rabbi, um, I think the overwhelming image is the image of light. So, first of all, it's a fact, which we're not going to go into here, that every world religion turns out to have some kind of ceremony that involves lights at this time of year. And, you know, that just give just one minute pause to sort of imagine that you were Adam or you were the first person on earth, and all of a sudden the days got shorter and shorter and shorter, and there was more and more darkness. And you have no idea. You assume this is going to go on forever, and you're essentially the light of the world is gonna be extinguished. Mm-hmm. But then that didn't happen. There's a cycle to it. So I think it's the power of light. And I have to say in my mind, there is a legitimate connection between the idea of light and the idea of truth. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll get to that later, but but I'm seized right now. I think we mentioned this on the phone, but perhaps not that there's a debate, which is like, what was the miracle of Hanukkah? And we were taught as children that the miracle is there wasn't very much oil, but it lasted for eight days. And I see now, you probably knew this many more years before I, but that there are a large number of commentators who are saying, actually, the miracle is that the Maccabees were brave enough to light the oil, even though they didn't know how long it would last. And so that actually speaks to me because that's the idea of stepping forward, taking risks, which, as you know, is what so much of the work of American Jewish World Service is finding people in the world who step forward, take a risk, and try to expand the amount of light. And then I have one more thing because I try to do my homework. After you and I talked, I did a little research and I discovered something wonderful that I didn't (laughs) tell you. So related to that idea of, of light in the world, I've always liked the quote. Um, which I'm sure everyone is familiar with, it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Mm -hmm. And that's always said a great deal to me. And I thought, error here, error. I thought somehow that it came from Eleanor Roosevelt, who is a hero of mine. Turns out not true. It's originally a Chinese proverb, of course. There's a phrase in the New Testament and in Romans that is very similar to it but here's what you will like. It was brought into the Western world consciousness in 1961 at a ceremony starting off Amnesty International and inaugurating Human Rights Day. Wow. So the idea of lighting a candle instead of crushing the darkness is directly connected to the origins in the Western world and in America and Great Britain of human rights.
0: That's, that's so amazing. Uh, and it, it also reminds me of, um, of a, a a quote from the songwriter JJ J. Gray that I uh, have, have talked about a lot over the past uh, few years. Uh, he says, um, uh, he actually quotes his, his this is his, gran- his grandmother who who said this to him. He, uh, she said, she would say to him, JJ, um, J., you can't fight darkness. So be a light.
1: That's beautiful. Right. That's exactly right, and by the way, the reason that I thought it was said by Eleanor Roosevelt, now that I've finished doing my homework, is um, Adlai Stevenson, if you're as old as I am, you actually remember Adlai Stevenson. Uh, Adlai Stevenson um, said it about Eleanor Roosevelt at her funeral. Mm. Mm. So she had been our ambassador to the United Nations. She is considered to be the author of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which, as you know, American Jewish World Service, studies at great length and shares with its um, rabbinic fellows which you were I'm happy to say um, and uh, lo and behold that declaration written by Eleanor Roosevelt and when she died Adelaide Stevenson said about her she would rather light a candle than curse the darkness
0: that's so amazing yeah that so that was Torah that you taught me um, that I didn't know before that uh, that uh, Eleanor Roosevelt was was quite likely you know single-handedly responsible for uh, drafting uh, the the uh, declaration of human rights, uh, which is just uh, extraordinary uh and and I'm, but i, I want to focus on this just a little bit more because sure. you know you've you've uh spent a lifetime um you know not cursing the darkness but uh trying to increase the light but i but and you've done that in you know in, in, in a lot of dark places and uh during a lot of dark times like you 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 know in in your travels uh in you know in in your work, like you have experienced, I think some of the worst of humanity. You've experienced some of the most most difficult and intractable challenges, um, some of the most you know horrific uh, abuses uh, of uh, you know of, of human rights uh, and uh, and and you know degradation of, of democratic norms. Uh, and, and so you know, and yet you you seem to look at this world and you know you don't see. The darkness, you see the possibility for adding light. So how do you do that and how can we do that?
1: So that is, for me, that, and remember, when I, um, I love my 18-year tenure running American Jewish World Service, but I didn't start it. So when I came to it, it was a small organization, but it introduced me for the first time and then became the core of our work to the fact that there, in every situation, there are people who step forward, who run these risks. I love, I love your Um, matter if you can't fight the darkness, but you can go out and be a light. So as you know, American Jewish World Service, and this is an answer to your question, is when I do this work, I would endlessly meet people who clearly were coping day in and day out. I say, thank God for me, but with more darkness than I'm likely to ever know in my life with real threats to their lives um, on issues of human rights, um, uh, freedom to be, freedom to own the land, and yet they would step forward. They would run the risk. They would not only, as it were, light a candle, Michael, but they would share their light with others. They were they were indigenous leaders. They were people who understood the principle that we all need to keep understanding: the power of organizing. And they would their their motto, very much like the grandmother you quoted, seemed to be like you can only fight darkness by being a light. And so I take that into. First of all, the answer to your question is that's, that's not just what sustains me. Those individuals, and I could name many of them, are people who give me hope every day. The ones that I still am in touch with, the ones whose stories I know, the fact indeed that we, we have supported some indigenous leaders who lost their lives fighting for the, their own rights and the rights of their communities. But what does that say to me? It says to me that at any time, and I think this is such a time, our responsibility is to add light wherever we are, to believe in the possibility of change, and to commit ourselves, each of us, to fighting for human rights, fighting for truth, fighting for democracy. So we're a bit besieged right now. no one no one uh, denies that. I mean, we're coping with this um, pandemic. We're at a a, a moment or it seems to be a rather extended moment of political, Upheaval in our own country, where do we go? How do we bring people more together? How do we create a better future? And so this holiday speaks and Hanukkah, the idea of light, lighting my own menorah, and the connect, conjunction with Human Rights Day seems to me to speak directly to that. We don't want to suffer the darkness. And frankly, and this is perhaps the bigger challenge, Michael, we don't want to just replicate the past, we want to improve on it. We wanna figure out how do we make it better? How do we bring in more light? How do we bring in more holiness? And the answer is for sure, that's gonna take our our taking a lot of risks, trying to find ways to work together, trying to find ways to work across lines of difference. um, And a metaphor for all of us for this time of year, but this political season and this still pandemic season is what can we do, each of us every day, to increase the light?
0: You know, as uh, as, as you were sharing those beautiful reflections, you know, my mind went to some of the um, individuals and organizations that uh, I was privileged to meet when when we traveled together to Guatemala, um, who you've known for, for some time, but it was the first time that I met many of them. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about, um, there's an organization of uh, lawyers uh, that uh that you know fight day in and day out uh for years um in you know corrupt legal system that where the odds are stacked against them um to uh to you know fight for justice for people who have been you know just horrifically wronged uh by by the government and both on the lawyer side and on the uh the the side of the people who are trying to like bring these cases for for justice in the courts, you know one, would imagine that like the easier thing would be just like put your head down and go about living your life as best you can you know uh like it's 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 just kind of better to uh it's better to uh, just sort of uh make the best out of the status quo um rather than um fight for change and yet you know um these incredible lawyers for you know for, uh, on you know on a pro bono basis are um are are you know fighting these battles in court for years walking hand in hand with with people who have been wronged it's amazing and as you're talking about the connection between that and Hanukkah, you know, my mind goes to the to the shamash right to the shamish the 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 helper candle right that um whose job in the menorah is to light the other lights right? And also not to, uh, and in doing that is not diminish themselves, right? And so um, thinking about that imagery too, right? How can we, how can we be, uh, you know, not only how can we add light into the world, but how can we like take of our own light and give light to others?
1: I think that's, that's beautiful. And that's, of course, all of the issue and debate as we look at, um, at building, building some or strengthening some foundational Truth. So I would say, without moving um, Bethel into um, partisan um, differences, that one thing that we've seen in the last several years is the is the threat to truth. You know, democracy is not a spectator sport, and however you choose to participate in it, it's very much what you said, Rabbi. It's like being a light and shedding light and sharing truths and not allowing people to to deny the truth of. Um, of our times. So acknowledging the pandemic for what it is, and then looking toward the light, figuring out just as you said, how do we share that light with other people? How do we help improve the quality of our healthcare system so that it's not so racially divisive? That's a longer haul proposition, but it's there for all of us as a challenge. But but when you talk about sharing the light, it's also, it's recognizing each of us that there are Privileges that we enjoy as as you know from spending for me spending a lifetime traveling to places like Guatemala and much worse. um, You realize um, how many challenges there are for most of the people in the world, and how much therefore you need to be um, a spreader of human rights, a spreader of truth. Um, you need to do what you can to increase the light and share it with other people. And we each have that. And for every person um, on this screen and in your congregation and in our Jewish community, it will look different what it is that people choose to do. But I think that's really a, a, a kind of a personal challenge and a and a test, which is, am I am I providing more light? I don't I don't know if you know the I never know where these various rabbinic stories come from. All the rabbis I work with all know them, but there you is a sto- there is okay. I, there is a story I'm told um, about the students who were studying at night with their rabbi and, and the rabbi said to them, Can you tell me when you know that it is now daylight, not no longer night? And the students thought for a while and they said, Well, when you see those animals in the field, you can tell, are they dogs or wolves coming? And the rabbi said, No that's true, but that's not, um, that's not when you know that, it's, that day is light has come. And they said, well, when you look in an orchard and you see that it's not peaches, it's apples, then you know that there's enough daylight. And the rabbi said, no. And then of course they said, okay, rabbi, tell us, how do we know when night turns into day? And the rabbi says, when on the face of every woman, man and child walking towards you, you can see that it is your brother and your sister.
0: Hmm. I, I love that so much. I, the, the version of it that, uh, that I'm familiar with is in uh, Ed Feinstein's book of uh, stories called Capturing the Moon. So uh, if people want to see the story uh, in, uh, in writing, they can, they can find it there for sure, but I'm sure in other places as well. I will,
1: I will do that because um, um, in this very small world that is the Jewish community, Ed Feinstein taught my children Hebrew school. So
0: <laughs> there you go. Um, so, I, and I love that story. And, and um you know as as we've been talking about this uh and and also the fact that other cultures you know uh celebrate uh these uh, holidays that are centered on light during this time of year you know when i got when i came to richmond um there's of course we have uh, we're actually I think kind of famous for our our tacky Christmas lights here, you know, so people just kind of go over the top of their Christmas lights in Richmond. We have I'm, several
1: places in Brooklyn and Queens that are similarly famous. go ahead. Uh,
0: but there's but there there was a tradition that people do here that I had never seen before, which is that in in their windows, mostly the houses that don't have the tacky lights, like there's like either or here. but um but a lot of houses uh, in each of their windows they put a single candle. And I and I noticed this, you know, all over my neighborhood here in Richmond, and had never seen it before. So I looked it up, and apparently, it comes from a tradition um, of trying to like do a tikkun, like a repair on the on the innkeeper's uh, sin that turned away Mary and Joseph uh, uh. In, in the Christ, in the in the nativity story. Right, and so you're saying like. Our light is on. We would take in wayfarers. Like we would we would bring in people into our home. And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? When you know that there's light when you can see that the that the that the migrant who's coming to you who has no money like should have a place in your home. Okay, right? it, that's, welcome that's, under your roof.
1: That's beautiful. And I can actually share then a Christian Jewish Holocaust era story, but this one I know to be true. Um, and maybe maybe I, ha- I encourage you to study him also, but there is a pastor, there are several books about him, named André Trocmé, um, who was a pastor in a Huguenot Protestant area of France, in um, Eastern France, in a kind of mountain community with his, with his wife, um, and he figured out, um, as he heard what the Nazis were doing, he figured out that if Jews were escaping from Germany, One way they would escape was through a mountain pass that ended up in his town of Shabon. And so all on his own, no newspapers, no whatever, he said to his parish, there may be people escaping over the mountains and they will come here first. We We will be the first, just as you say, almost light in the window that they see and we will welcome them. And the story is that one night in the parsonage, there was a knock on the door and Magda Trochme, his wife, opened the door, and there were clearly a group of people who had been struggling and walking for days, who were escaping from Hitler, and she said, come in, we've been waiting for you.
0: Wow, what a powerful story. Um, I, I want to I actually, uh, that, that reminded me, I wanted to come back to that image of the mountain in, in just a moment, but you were talking before about truth. And and it struck me that in the Torah portion this week, you, know, you see very clearly the connection between um, a, a breakdown of truth and obfuscation of truth and obscuring of truth, and um, and and you know horrific abuses of people, right? So the brothers uh, lie yes. to Jacob in order to uh, to cover up their sin of selling Joseph into slavery, and in turn, you know, uh, just just destroy Jacob's life. Um, they destroy Joseph's life, of course, right? Joseph is is uh imprisoned um uh, because of a lie that that Potiphar's wife uh says. So there's a, a direct connection that the Torah version is calling out between um uh, between you know the the uh between lying, between uh misinformation, um, and uh and, and human rights abuses. And, and you know, I, I talked about this on Yom Kippur that um you know I was the first not the first to point it out, but you know, that, that we see and I you know notice this in Guatemala, you can see this everywhere where there are uh you know where where where, where democracy has been uh eroded and uh where uh, human rights abuses are, are um you know proliferate um it, it is so intimately tied in with a um with with uh, the um with the obscuring of reality that uh, that uh that that uh, that is deliberately perpetrated by uh, people in power uh, in order to in order essentially to uh, enable anything to be possible and you know I was thinking about that but also you know a kind of tricky thing which is a, a matter of perspective right you mentioned the the Maccabees before the, the sort of miracle of them going to light the light in the first place and why did they even think that that was something that they could or should do right it made no sense fighting against the, the Syrian Greeks, like made no sense, but yet they did it anyway, um, and we see that in the Haftorah, um, so the Haftorah says two things, right, so first the angel, going back to the um, the, the initial question, the angel says to Zachariah, you know, the, the meaning of the menorah is, Lo ki'im right, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit says god that's beautiful, um, yes that's the meaning of the menorah um so right so the so i, I want to think about that for a second and then and then also right says like what's the mountain that's in front of you right there, there there's this obstacle that you see in front of you you're going to take a stone from that mountain it's going to become the cornerstone of the temple and everybody's going to say how beautiful it is right so don't see the mountain see the potential for the stone that you're going to take from it um so i'm wondering like what's the relationship that you see between um between Truth between perspective and um, and and building a more just world.
1: So, I I like particularly the um, I mean obviously we all like the not by might of the sword but by light that's in spirit that's pretty clear message but I but I love this notion you're reminding me that it's in the half of, of the cornerstone because for me now I would translate that into that that stone is light and truth. You take it out of where it's just sitting amidst a large mountain rock and you sort of say, this is the cornerstone. That's the same idea of like being the leader who can step forward, who can take that risk of moving toward the light. I have a poem I'll read you when we end up um, and then make it the cornerstone of, of our next future. So for all of us, again, wherever we are, as we move out of this pandemic, as we try to right our political ship in some way or other. What are our truths? How do we own them? How do we share them? And how much are we willing to be risk takers for human rights and for justice? So there's a very short poem by Mary Austin, which I will read if I may. Yes, please. I arise facing East. I am asking toward the light. I'm asking that my day shall be beautiful with light. I am asking that the place where my feet are shall be light that as far as I can see, I shall follow it aright. I am asking for the courage to go forward through the shadow. I am asking toward the light. That's what I wish for all of us.
0: Amen, Stay. amen. That is so beautiful and so inspiring. Uh, and, uh, and I love that, right? The courage to to move toward the shadow uh, and, to, uh, and to increase light in the world. Um, that's really the, the charge and the challenge of, uh, of Hanukkah and, and of this moment and uh, you, you talk so often and so uh, meaningfully about um, summoning moral courage. Uh, uh, and, uh, and and uh, letting that lead you and guide you and so um, just so grateful. Uh, that you uh, joined us this morning to, to share of your wisdom to illuminate uh, our community uh, and, uh, and and our lives with your light and your truth, uh, and um, look forward to uh, continuing to learn with and from you, hopefully for a long time to come.
1: I look forward to it as well. Hagsamech and Shabbat Shalom.
0: Hag Sameach, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much. This has been socially distant, spiritually close with Rabbi Michael Knopf. I hope that this episode has helped you find a little faith and hope, enrichment and uplift during this complex and challenging time. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. Please also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice so that others will have an easier time finding us and joining in the conversation. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is recorded during virtual gatherings of my congregation, Temple Beth El in Richmond, Virginia. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is produced by Dr. Gillian Frank. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Our cover art was designed by Judith Russian using a photograph by Miriam Aniel. I have been your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.